0: Well, good day, everybody, and welcome to The Extras. It's uh, good to be with you this morning. I'm Sam. And I'm Jack. And uh, we're back. We, uh, we we missed you last week. We, we actually didn't get a whole a lot of questions that came in uh, for us uh, on the podcast last week, so we, we enjoyed a, a week off. But uh, we're back this week with a, with a, with a storm of questions. There, there's heaps here um, and lots of good ones uh, from the Book of Genesis. Uh, but Jack, you and Mike were preaching Sunday. Uh, before we dive into questions, can you give us a bit of a a reminder a summary which part of the scriptures were we in what was it all about
1: so we're looking at genesis 29 and 30 which is really the birth of the nation of israel we see how jacob's sons are born to his wives and really it's it's a passage about those wives we see this bitter competition between Rachel and Leah as they keep trying to line up each other in terms of who has, you know, Jacob's love, who has the most children. It's this tale of tragedy, and yet that's the the means that God has used to bring forth the the promised people of God. We have this mm. flood of descendants now. We see God keeping his promise there.
0: Yeah, and there's this, this struggle going on between the two women throughout the section, um, and uh, and you guys uh, sort of displayed it on a scoreboard on, on Sunday in terms of that, because that's what the heart of the struggle is, is to have children and to um, as well as winning the affections of the husband. There's all sorts of mess in, in this. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, but at, at the end of the day, um, there's this sort of result that Leah, who was the unloved, uh, ends up with nine kids. Uh, Rachel, the, the favorite, uh, sort of ends up with three, and, uh, and, a, and there's bitterness and pain amongst it all. Um.
1: Absolutely, yeah. It's a real picture of dysfunctional family, which is one of these themes of Genesis. It just keeps coming out and again and again. The people of God just start out unimpressive, and it's amazing that God chooses to bestow His promises and do His work even through people like this. Yeah, okay. Well, let's
0: dive into some questions. Um, and uh, we'll sort of pick up on that um, scoreboard kind of uh, question, um, which is, so 9-3 so is the result. And yet um, some of these babies are, are not born to Leah and Rachel themselves. They're actually born to their their servant women, um, Bilhar and Zilpah are their names. And uh, but why is it, someone's asking, that these kids who are born of the servant um, girls end up being attributed to, to Rachel, um, and, and especially given that, that just a couple of chapters before, if you, if you go up the generational tree to Abraham, he had a baby with, with uh, his wife's servant girl um, and Hagar, and that baby Ishmael wasn't attributed to him or wasn't sort of the child of the promise at least.
1: Yeah, this is a really perceptive question. Great to be picking up on those details. I think we are definitely meant to see a parallel with what's happening with Hagar back in Genesis 16. Because in chapter 30, verse 3, when Rachel says, Here is Bilhar, my servant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me, and I too can build a family through her. That that phrasing, you know, I'm going to build a family through the servant God, is exactly what Abraham's wife Sarah says Mm. back in Genesis 16. So it is striking that there's a different result here. Hagar's son Ishmael is sent away. Uh, he doesn't count as Sarah's child in the end. Yep. Whereas Bilhar and Zilpah, uh, Leah's servant, their children are counted among the tribes of Israel. Mm. I think one of the key differences is the way that the uh, the wife treats the, the servant wife. So in Genesis chapter 16, Sarah initially, you know, she's happy with this plan. Yep, Hagar, you have Abraham's son. But when hagar has a child and ishmael's born hagar kind of you know has this note of triumph and says like haha sarah now i'm the one who could you know bear the child she kind of gloats over sarah and sarah uh mistreats hagar and abuses her and sends her away Mm. so it seems like sarah's the one who makes the choice not to kind of count ishmael as her child she doesn't want anything to do with them they get kind of cast out into the desert the difference in Genesis 30 is Rachel isn't, you know, angry at Bilhah for bearing her child. Rachel's actually got her eyes set against Leah. Mm. So I think because the situation is more complicated in Genesis 30, you've got more wives and more rivalry going on. Rachel doesn't send away... The servant girl, because she's trying to get as many children as she can to one up her sister. I think that's kind of the difference in what's going
0: on there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, So, in a similar vein, someone else is asking, um, why is it that these uh, children who are are born, uh, where Ishmael wasn't the child of the promise, uh, and it might be the same 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 answer. uh, Why isn't he considered a son of Abraham? Um, as much as these sons who are born of the slave girls are sort of, they form the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. They're definitely sons of the promise. So that it's different not just for the wives, but for the child as well. Is that right?
1: Yeah, there is a difference there. I mean, Ishmael, he is counted as a son of Abraham. In Genesis 25, when Abraham dies, he, he calls, well, Isaac and Ishmael are both kind of called back to bury Abraham. He is the son of, of Abraham. But, yeah, the question is right to notice that Ishmael's not the child of the promise. He is not the one who the, the promise line descends through. That all falls on Isaac. Part of that is what God's doing through those early chapters. You know, God keeps telling Abraham, you're going to have a son. He ends up saying, you know, you're going to have a son by Sarah. And the, the miracle of Isaac is that God gives a, a child to, you know, 90-year-old Sarah, who is well past the age of having children, so, he's the, Isaac is the, the focus of God's miraculous bringing life out of nowhere kind of activity there. Whereas Ishmael represents Sarah's attempt to do it on her own terms, I guess. Mm. So, you have Isaac, the chosen one, Ishmael rejected. Uh, in the, the next generation, you get the same kind of thing. Jacob becomes the chosen one, whereas his brother Esau is rejected. Mm. So, those early generations seem to be making the point that God is the God who chooses And he deliberately chooses the younger over the older. That's the other thing we keep seeing in the the Jacob side of the story. It's all making the point that God's the one who gets to decide who his promised people are going to be. And then the point that God's making seems to move to a different point in Jacob's children, because all of Jacob's children end up being the chosen ones. The family doesn't kind of fracture off into, you know, these 12 little tribes, and one of them is the only chosen one. Like, these 12 sons they become the 12 tribes of israel Mm. and jacob his name will become israel he is the the kind of the point where the forking stops if you like he is the the chosen one and his family are all the children of the promise together
0: so there's a sense in which god is sort of teaching if you like a a different point and he's he's no longer teaching the choosing point um but now the sort of the establishing of the, the the many people part of the promise is that is that it
1: i think that's right yeah i I don't know if that comes out explicitly in the text, but I think that's what's going on, especially as you move towards the end of Genesis and you see that among Jacob's children, you still have all the same bitterness and rivalry going on. You see Jacob's sons reject Joseph and, you know, send him off to Egypt as a slave. Yep. But the amazing thing by the end of Genesis is that God brings the brothers back together and even despite their rivalry, he still keeps the 12 together Mm. as this one people. Like that's as much of a miracle of God as was, you know, Isaac being born to Sarah. So yeah, a different point, but Mm. still making the point that God chooses, he's chosen Jacob and by his sustaining grace, he keeps Jacob's sons together as a people
0: okay yeah good thank you that's helpful um, so, so pushing on a little bit further uh, there's another question here about um, the sort of the dysfunction and, and I, I don't think we can underscore that enough that there, there's, this yeah. is a messed up family and uh, and I think this, that's helpful to wrestle with and I think that lots of people as they're texting in um, and, and commenting on, on connect cards it's helpful to, to note just because there's dysfunction here doesn't mean God approves it he, the, the, the scriptures are just sort of telling us this, this is what happens right yeah um, Uh, But there's a question here about um, the activity of Reuben. So we're told in in chapter 30, verse 14, that it's uh, Reuben, who's who's the eldest uh, child of Leah... Uh, Ruben has found these mandrakes out in in uh, the field it seems and then he brings them to his mother and they become the kind of bargaining tool for a sort of steamy night with uh <laughs> with with the with dad in know, it. it's just yeah. weird yeah. Um, but uh yeah is there a sense someone's asking that that Ruben has recognized that his mum Leah is is not the favorite and so has gone out to kind of find these mandrakes in order to get his mum back into the sort of, you know, pole position and number one wife. Um, Again, all very messed up. Is Is that what's going on here?
1: It's a really good question. And I think there may be like a foreshadowing of Ruben's role here, because as you go on, Ruben does have a key role to play. In the story of genesis because he's the firstborn he is jacob's eldest son and we're going to see there's this there's this wrestle between reuben and jacob later on reuben sleeps with jacob's wives like he he commits this great transgression against jacob and against jacob's wives later on so i think you might see the the foreshadowing of that in genesis 30. i think I'm i'm a little bit reluctant to project too much kind of you know longing and um maybe empathy and recognition to Reuben at this point Mm. because like at this point Reuben is a child Mm. in terms of the chronology of this section it doesn't all get made explicit but you remember last time when uh, Jacob first marries uh, Leah and Rachel you know he works seven years for what he thinks is going to be Rachel and ends up marrying Leah Laban says look marry Rachel as well for another seven years of work and all of these children are born in that seven years so if we move into the next section from Genesis 30 verse 25, you get the sense that Jacob's seven years are done, and now he wants to leave Laban. Mm. So it's only after the, the 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 12 children are born that that seven years is up. Okay. So if Reuben's the firstborn, that means that at this point, you know, he's probably three or four years old or something If yeah. he finds his mandrakes. I think it's less like, you know, Reuben going out into the wilderness trying to find a way to, you know, get his unloved yeah. mother back on the...
0: He's, a, he's yeah. not the angsty teenager out to sort of go into bat for mum. He's a four-year-old digging in the dirt. That's right. You know, he. he I, I doubt he understands significance of these strange, you know,
1: magic sex plants that yeah, he finds. Like he's, right. a, he's a child, you know, <laughs> digging in his sandpit. I think you, it's more like that. You can imagine mum going, I'll take those from <laughs> yeah, you. That's <laughs> <right>. Yeah, that's <laughs> right.
0: Exactly. Okay, yeah, rightio. So, um, but that, that's, that's helpful because we we know um, Ruben is going to end up being a bit of a protagonist mm. in, in the story to come, but possibly not helpful to kind of project that back onto him at, at possibly age three or four at this stage. Yeah. We, yeah. Okay. That's good. Um, okay. Now, uh, kind of sticking with the mess of this family, um, part of the heartache and, and heartbreak in this passage is, um, uh, Rachel's own infertility. And, mm. uh, and this is just so hard. Um, both for those listening who've, who've experienced infertility and, and known the sort of the grief and the pain that, that comes along with that, and yeah. it's, and and it's a sort of contrast for Rachel because on the one hand she's the the favoured wife she's the the beautiful girl that um, Jacob fell in love with, um, and yet uh, it's her sister Leah who who is able to bear children and there's this deep grief for um, for Rachel in in the midst of all that and so there's there's just more pain. Um, in chapter thirty, verse one, she she sort of uh, uh, screams almost at, at Jacob, saying, "Give me children, or I'll die." Um, yeah, huge huge kind of uh, emotional moment. Um, mm. Questions come in about that. Is, is that uh, her comments there an intention to suicide? Is is that the the depths that she's at in this moment? Yeah, a really good question, and I mean,
1: worth acknowledging. We're grappling with really raw emotional realities here, right? Talking about childlessness talking about suicide like yeah if you're listening in and this is hard for you to hear i appreciate that and yeah we, we want to acknowledge that these are difficult topics uh i i don't think that rachel is necessarily talking about uh suicide at this point uh, i mean she doesn't say give me children or i will kill myself um she says give me children or i'll die and i think at this point it's it's a, an expression of her her grief you know she's saying i'm so you know, I'm in so much pain. I'm so sad that I could die. It's Mm. a, I mean, there's something of hyperbole in that. I mean, like there's a, you know, trying to give expression to the sheer weight of pain. Um, it's, I mean, it's an interesting phrase. Like it reminds me of in the book of Jonah, at the end of Jonah, you know, Jonah, the prophet goes into Nineveh and preaches this message and the Assyrians all repent. And it turns out Jonah is really angry about that because he wanted the Assyrians to get smashed. And he says, you know, I'm so angry I could die. Like, mm. you know, and in Jonah, it's, you know, more of a comical picture. Yeah. But um, it's that kind of idea. It's, you know, it's such a strong feeling. That this is going to overwhelm me to the point of death. Yeah. In Rachel's case, it's not funny. This is tragic. But she is so, so overwhelmed by pain that it's that
0: serious for her. Yeah. It's similar to Esau back in chapter 25 with the, with the stealing of the birthright, isn't it? He comes in, he says, I'm so hungry and uh jacob kind of opportunistically at this point takes his birthright he says i'm so hungry i'm about to die what good is my birthright to me anyway yeah and it's the same kind of thing isn't it i'm i'm feeling in this case hunger so so much it's as i feel like i'm about to die yeah i think that's the the sense here yeah okay so So,
1: not to take away from the you know the huge emotional weight of that Yep. but it's uh
0: you know it's an exaggeration pointing to something extremely yes. significant in terms of her grief. Yes, but it's it's not a sort of threat of, of, of literal suicide. It's just a, an expression of deep pain and grief. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so sticking with the mess and uh, more, more of the pain in here, um, uh, we've mentioned before that that alongside these wives who are rival, rivals and, and trying to outdo each other with children, there's these two su- servant girls, um, Bilhar and Zilpa, and... Um, what ends up happening, and this 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 happens a couple of times in in the Book of Genesis, is that that servant girls get get given, uh, um, often by their by the the wife to the husband in order to have children. Um for them. And uh, now this is very countercultural for us. Um, yeah. Uh, we, we just, we live in a society that just, um, th- this kind of thing just doesn't really happen except for in really weird Netflix kind of dramas and stuff like that. Um, Indeed. Um, mm. And, and yet, yeah, th- th- this is what's reported for us on the pages of the Bible. And um, there's some questions to ask here. Um, the, the first one is can those marriages of these two servant girls to, um, I guess their marriages of sorts to Jacob can that be sort of described as, as rape? They're sort of not given any um, choice in the matter. They're sort of given to a man in order to bear children. Is is this rape? Yeah, really serious
1: question. Really important question. And I want to acknowledge from the outset that this, these, these things again, these things are hard to talk about and. I appreciate there's there's even difficulty in, you know, Sam, you and I as two men speaking about these things. There know, there's, is. There's realities here that we have, will not and have not experienced, so yeah. just want to state that up front. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a tough question to answer, but we, we're definitely going to go. I think there's a few things to say, so please stay with us because I think there's a few angles here. yeah um, I think one thing that's important to recognize is uh, how much of this kind of question comes out of our culture, uh, our modern 21st century, you know, um, post-feminist, uh, Me Too kind of era. Mm. When we look back at the biblical narrative, there's there's clearly a whole different set of values. It's a, it's a foreign world, and it it looks wrong to us. What do mm. we what are we to make of that? Uh, is it true that Bilhah didn't have a choice and had to marry Jacob? I think so, probably. Um, she's the servant; she does what she's told. Mm. Um, does that mean that you know Bilhah was kind of dragged, kicking and screaming, against her will, uh, so that this really is was was an act of you know forced sexual violence i mean the first thing to say is I, I don't really know like the passage doesn't really give you a lot of detail mm. it doesn't give you this um detailed picture of what happened to bilhar you don't get to see her you know emotional state it just the passage just reports it very matter-of-factly um so it's hard for us to say very much uh, that question is just simply not one that genesis dwells on in detail mm. I think there is something that's helpful to say uh, by looking back at uh, this very similar situation with Sarah and Hagar back in Genesis 16, mm-hmm. because there you do get more of an insight into what was going on for Hagar. When Hagar uh, bears a son for Abraham, she she's she's pretty happy about that. Like she's proud of that, and she even kind of uh, rejoices and gloats at Sarah. You know, she says to Sarah, "Ha ha! You couldn't have a a son, whereas I have." She, you know, for her 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 marriage to Abraham, even though she was the servant given as a wife, uh, for her that's a time where she kind of grows in status. Like she goes from being a servant to being the the exalted wife of the you know the leader of the tribe Abraham, who was able to bear the child. Mm. For her that's a that's a massive step up in the world. Mm. And again, that's not to discount that you know that you know this is messy and, and we don't know what all the experience of it was like. But it's not as simple as just like oh she clearly didn't want to do this. She's clearly been violated. Like Hagar mm. kind of grows and gets something out of this in that sense. Mm. Okay. I mean that's that's one side of the equation. I mean the other thing to say is that uh Genesis isn't necessarily in okay that's not a strong enough. Genesis is not endorsing this model of marriage as, you know, the good and right and normative thing to do. Like Mm. I mean Genesis doesn't say that, you know, Jacob sinned by taking four wives and two servant girls among them, but the the implicit kind of judgment on Jacob in this narrative is that this whole polygamous situation is is bad like mm. it, it leads to this mess of rivalry and jealousy and i mean jacob just kind of sits there passively and you know he's kind of implicitly judged for not really doing anything he's just this bystander all of this points to the fact that like this is not god's
0: ideal for mm. marriage and that, that's helpful to note because genesis be- begins with that very ideal and yeah right back in genesis 1 and 2 uh, in the creation of, of human beings is uh, male and female coming together, one man, one woman, um, united as one flesh before God in, in the first marriage. And that's sort of the ideal that is picked up and yet is just constantly um, not lived out by the patriarchs. In fact, it's so um, so far from, from lived out in, in the patriarchs. Um, and, and, and I think part of what you're meant to see here is, but for the grace of God go these people. Um, yeah. th- their families are a, a, a mess. Their home life is, is, is atrocious. Um, and yet God is gracious. And I think the focus is on the the grace of God, not on the the righteousness of these patriarchs. Exactly. And the grace of God, I mean, even comes out in the experience of these
1: wives. So you look at someone like Leah, in a sense, this question could be applied to Leah as well. Like Mm. she wasn't the one, you know, meant to marry Jacob in the first place. Laban switched Leah in at the last minute and gave her to Jacob on his wedding night. I mean, Mm. we don't get the sense that she had much of a say in it either. And yet in Genesis Twenty nine thirty. You do see Leah longing for the love of her husband, um, rejoicing and praising God that she's able to bear a child. You see God's care for her. Like mm. 29 verse 31, the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. He enabled her to conceive. You know, God sees Leah in her misery and you see him uh, honor Leah even though no one else in the narrative seems to honor her. Similar to Hagar back in Genesis 16 when Sarah drives out Hagar and sends her out into the desert with her little baby Ishmael to die effectively. Mm. You see this wonderful picture of the love of God because the angel of the Lord appears to Hagar in the desert and and talks about uh, his kind of blessings for her. The angel of the Lord um, speaks blessing, You know, the same kinds of blessings that get spoken to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob get spoken to Hagar. Mm. She gets told that her son is going to be a great one, you know, God hears her misery. Uh, God speaks to Hagar by name. Yeah. And as far as I'm aware, she is the only woman in the whole Bible who God speaks to and and names her. So you see this wonderful care and honouring of God. Even when every other male character in, in Genesis, you know, does things that are that are questionable and, and wrong, mm. uh, you see God who clearly cares for these women and sees them in their pain and speaks to them. You see the wonderful picture of the God who values women yeah. even if no one else does.
0: And, and so there's a, there's a teaching point for us there that is, if you are feeling in your life that that you are just forgotten and ignored and or worse uh, abused and rejected, um, God God knows and God cares and God wants to come and uh, love you in that in that space, um, and He is not above um, people who have been rejected by everyone for that matter. Um, that's right, and that's really the, one of the points we're trying to make on.
1: On Sunday, you know, it's easy as we talk about God blessing through the mess and fulfilling his big picture promises. That sounds great, but it's very abstract. And But no, like this passage also shows us even as God fulfills his huge purposes to save the world, he also sees and hears the misery of these women who are unloved. Yeah, because God is the one who loves them.
0: Yeah, uh, one other point that's probably worth making is it, it's also not just the men who are mistreating the servant women in this in, in these stories. Um, yeah, because as you, you just noticed with with Hagar um, back in in Genesis 16, uh, you've, Sarah is just as complicit. In fact, if not more actively described as the one who, once she finds a rival, she she drives her out and uh, almost to death. Um, so there's there's class warfare as much as gender warfare going on possibly here. Yeah, that's um, helpful to that. Yeah, and, and I think similar, it's 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 both at um, it's at Rachel's volition that the that the servant girl is given to Jacob. Not not that. So I think sometimes there can be this sense that Jacob is a sexual predator looking mm. out for a, you know a, an attractive young woman to take to bed, um, as if and that that is the problem that's on view here. I think that's to, to again project modern kind of um, notions. Back onto this passage, what what's going on here is a rivalry between these two wives, and, and then it is actually it's as Rachel seeks to sort of outdo her rival, it, it's actually her decision to take her her slave girl and then give it to, to give her to um, to her husband. Yeah, I mean maybe to sum up, uh, is what happens to
1: Bilhah and Zilpah rape? That's certainly not the way that the passage presents it to us. That's not what Genesis says it is. Mm. Genesis doesn't say a lot about it. Uh, it does represent this whole reality is this twisted, messed up perversion yeah. of God's ideal for marriage. Yeah. And yet God is the one who even through that twisted mess is intimately caring for all of the, the men and women involved. Yeah, okay. It might be helpful to say as well, we're going to dig into some of these questions even more in a couple of weeks time. And we look at Genesis 34 and we, we do see this awful situation of, of genuine rape when Jacob's daughter Dinah mm. is raped so we'll be yeah wrestling with some of these hard questions in a much bigger way in a couple of weeks time
0: too so yeah. stay tuned for that okay um, yeah I mean now if there's something in that that, that you want to again raise further um, you, you need to talk to someone about that then we want to encourage you to get in touch um, either with your growth group leader or, or reach out directly and, and we'd love to chat to you further if there's um, pain or, or, or difficulty that you're um, experiencing on that front so yeah don't, don't, don't stay on your own um, last one Jack we'll, we'll sort of uh, try and try and bring bring things home here uh, a, a bit of a comment slash question um, so someone sort of said look isn't the application here uh, not so much to point to us that God could use sinful people like us but it isn't the application rather to push, push us back to God and how amazing he is um, uh, so a bit of a comment there but is, is that a is that a fair comment um, does that capture the uh, the sense of what you guys were saying on Sunday or something different
1: yeah, so where we, and where Mike and I went uh, towards the end of speaking about this passage, we kind of looked at the twisted, messy family that, that we see emerge here is the way that God is bringing about his purposes in the world. And we as Christians look at that and see an echo of, of us, of, of the church. And we, we had a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, which talks about how not many in the church were of noble birth, not many wise, not many powerful but God has chosen the weak in order to to shame the wise of the world. Mm. So in a sense, we were pointing at uh, us in that kind of application point, I guess, but we were also pointing at God. I mean, I think that this question asker is coming from the point of saying um, the book of Genesis is not about us. It's all about God. And to that, uh, I'd say a a hearty amen. Mm. Um, But it is also uh, about how God works through even sinful twisted people like us which is really the point that mike and i were making we were saying yes it is profoundly amazing that god would choose weak foolish people in the world's eyes in order to bring about his purposes and i said that shows the world how wise god is how powerful he is that's that's how god gets all the glory Mm. through his purposes in salvation so i think yeah this question really helpful to remind that the emphasis is 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 on god and and what he does and and i want to say yes It's an emphasis on what God does through even
0: people like us. Yeah, okay. All right. Um, Great. Well, that's it for questions for today. I want to say huge thanks to those who've sent in questions and encourage you to keep um, texting in as as you watch along on Sundays um, on YouTube. That's uh, that's great. They're good questions. They help others to think through the Scriptures and they help us. So thank you. Um, uh, This Sunday, Jack, where where are we heading in the book of Genesis?
1: So in the next chunk, we're looking at uh, chapters 30 and into 31. Here we see the, the inversion of everything else that's happened with Jacob and Laban so far. And when Jacob arrived at Laban's country, you see how Laban deceives him and kind of brings Jacob low. Here we see that flipped on its head as Jacob gets to swindle Laban out of his wealth. Uh, we see Jacob flee from, from his uncle and head start heading, you know, the return journey. Jacob's heading back towards the promised land now. Through all of that, we're going to see how God shows this amazing grace to Jacob, like Jacob's still the scoundrel, and we see how God sides with him. We're also going to see how God is no rival. And there's all this, this mess that we're going to see with Laban's gods, his idols. Mm. We're going to see how God is the one who emerges as the the one true living God who's able to bring
0: about his blessings in the world. Okay, excellent. Well, looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, do, do tune in. Uh, make sure... Um, you, you might might be helpful to read the next little chunk. How, how far should we read through?
1: So the chunk will be Genesis 30 verse 25 through to the end of chapter 31 verse 55. And yeah, this is a massive chunk. So it would be helpful for you to read it because I won't be able to cover every verse in the talk. So yeah. the more work you've done, the more you'll get
0: out of it. Fantastic. All right, looking forward to it. Thank you, Jack. And uh, thanks, everyone. We will uh, catch you on Zoom on Sunday. And uh, yeah, I will uh, see you then. See
1: you then.